Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. That was really weird. Like we walked out here and it got really quiet. I was like, are we alive? <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and stand. We are going to rise. Uh, let's rise and sing to our God. He is an amazing God. And, you know, today we have the sunshine, uh, little hot temperatures coming in. But, you know, we just we sing his glory because he does that for us for unknown reasons. But I know that when I look at the sun, I go, ah, it's so beautiful, right? So let's sing his glory because he wants to hear your voice and, and sing, see your little dilly dance. <laughs>
Psalm 1, let's try that again. Psalm 91, 4 says, He will cover you with his feathers. He will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful that we can come together for this time of worship. And Father, I pray that as we spend this time together that we can lift up Jesus together. Lord, many times things of the world just really bring us down. And I pray that we can set those things aside this morning and just worship. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good, morning. good to see you today. Glad that you've chosen to worship with us today as we lift up Christ together. Please make sure you fill out your connection card for us this morning, and we would appreciate that, particularly if you're watching us online. And at this time, I'm going to turn things back over to the praise team as they continue lifting up the Lord in song. <laughs> Just 
In Isaiah 26, we read, I long for you in the night. Yes, my spirit within me diligently seeks you. For when your judgments are in the land, the inhabitants of the world will learn your righteousness. Psalm 63, 4 says, So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. No 
like July. Too many people are gone on vacation. Makes more work for everybody. See, she, there's an agreement back there. Um, have you ever been around a person who can talk a good game? I mean, they will tell you with, without apology how great they are. <laughs> and they will brag about it. I see this in athletes, and I know when I used to play sports, you have to have kind of a confidence about you that says, I can beat you, I can win, I belong in this field. But sometimes people take it a little bit to the extreme. I used to love to watch boxing uh, back in the 70s. Boy, it was great. And in the 80s and early 90s, Mike Tyson, I loved to watch that dude go into the ring. And I felt bad for him because when his trainer died, he kind of got into some bad elements and it affected his life, but you know, it looks like he's pulled it together. But when I used to watch his fights, it always intrigued me. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen Mike Tyson, but believe me, even he's my age now, I would not want to step in the ring with that guy. As a matter of fact, if I was going to step in the ring with that guy, I'm going to be very nice. And then I'm going to make sure I've been working on my running because I'm just running the whole time. I'm not letting that dude hit me for nothing because I won't ever wake up from that. But with Tyson, it intrigued me because the, these fighters, this one guy, Mitch Green, he used to be, a, he used to be a, uh, a drug dealer, and he fancied himself with some street cred, and he was getting ready to fight Tyson. He, I think it was Mitch Green. He was mouthing off, man, how he called him a little girl because Mike has a little bit of a high voice, and, man, he was just making fun of him. Well, by the time he woke up after the fight, he basically retired. And I saw this with many fighters that went against Tyson because they were just mouthing off. They were writing a check with their mouth that their body couldn't cash. Because once they'd wake up, they'd realize, you know, I think I need to find something a little more safe than boxing. And he retired a lot of fighters. Well, <laughs> I think as Christians, when we bring it to faith and religion, if you will, and that's the title of this message. I actually should have entitled it True Faith, but I like the graphics, so I'll leave it at religion. But, uh, so I'm going to refer it to it as faith most of the time. But I haven't been around a lot of Christians that go around to people and just brag, I'm a Christian. I got it together. You're going to hell, I'm not. I am an awesome person. God is so lucky to have me in his kingdom. I don't ever mess up. I am the perfect everything. Now, I haven't run across a Christian that conducts themselves that way. But here's the thing. 
When we clothe ourselves with Christ, something has to be different. Something has to change. It kind of begs the question, or the questions, such as, what does faith look like? How does faith change my life? Does my faith change the world around me for the better? Today we're going to begin embark on a five-week series through the, through the book of James. We're going to look at, at, at something in each, each one of the chapters, and we're going to see how James shows us what faith looks like, or if you will, what religion should look like. This is practical theology for everyone, especially if you're younger in the faith. You're going to see some things here that are so simple, but maybe not so easy to carry out. Each one of the teachings from James 5 chapters, we are, what I hope it does, I hope it encourages you to go back and read the whole book. Because James is probably one of the easiest books in the New Testament, probably in the whole Bible to read. It's one of the most practical books on living out the message, which is the title of this morning's message. And the thing about it is, is not to say that the rest of the Bible's not practical, because it all is. But let's face it, you get into the book of Numbers, it's kind of difficult. And some of Paul's writings can get a little complex. In the book of Revelation, you know, that thing is so misunderstood. People don't know, it. has it happened? Is it happening or will it happen? That all gets conflated, so most people don't know what they're dealing with when they open that book. But James is a book that even a, a youngster can read and say, okay, I understand that. James isn't filled with a bunch of complex, con complex concepts. It's not filled with a bunch of, of, of really high theological writing. But it's really simple, down-to-earth counsel that will help a Christian to grow. The big idea to our message this morning is this. True religion or true faith puts words into action. We're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. I want us to begin with verses 19 and 20. It says this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. Oh, I don't like this. Let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So our first observation this morning is this. It's a difficult command. I honestly say there's passages in Scripture I don't like. This is one of them. It belongs there, except for some reason in my Bible it's scratched out. I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> Not sure. It's the Jeff Bible. But, but the thing is, when you start this, what James begins with in verse 19 is so practical. So it should be easy, right? But sometimes it's so challenging to put into practice. But yet this passage tells me one of the ways that my faith, my religion, if you will, should impact my life. And honestly, on my own, I can't carry out this command. I am incapable of doing this on my own strength. You know why? I used to have a very volatile temper. Not just a little temper, a volatile one. One that would tear stuff up. One that would just fly off. One that if you got under my skin, I'd go off like a stick of dynamite and in a, at a moment's notice. This isn't stuff with my parents and stuff. My parents were freaking wonderful. They were great. It was stuff within me that I fought. I would get so angry that I wouldn't listen to anything, reason, anything. I would be slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to anger. If you insulted me, I'd fire off 25 of them right at you before you could even say another word. I mean, that's just how I operated. But part of me becoming a new creation in Christ when I was baptized into Christ was this. God knew me when he created me. So it's his fault. No, he knew me when he created me. He loved me when he created me. So what he did, he said, Jeff, I got a better way for you. When you're baptizing me, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit that's going to help you to overcome these issues. So let's look at verse 19. I want to break it down. It's pretty simple. First, he says, be quick to listen. Okay, what's that mean? It means to be quick to listen so you can fire off stuff right back at him, right? No. Who are we to listen to quickly? Well, verse 18 gives us some context because it's right before verse 19, and it says this. By God's sovereign plan, he gave us birth through the message of truth that we would be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So what we're finding in the con direct context is who we're to be quick to listen to is God. 
See, if we don't listen to God and his word, what we will end up doing is we will be pretending to follow his will because we have no idea what it is. We'll say, I'm going to pray about that, but you don't have a well to draw from to know what to even pray about. So what we do is say, God, here's what I'm going to do. You're going to bless it, man. We're on the same team. Ready? Break. You know, that's how we handle it. But see, we have to be quick to listen to God's word. It, and this word quick to listen, this phrase, it denotes an eagerness to hear and obey. Biblically, hearing is not just letting it come in here and rattle around the empty space. It means that it has an effect, that it does something for me. So when we are quick to hear God's message, we have to be able to say, you know what? I want to see what God has to say on this. Once we taste the wonderful blessings from God that flows down to us as a result of our obedience and as a result of our willingness to listen to him and to see the love that he displays to us, why wouldn't we want more? It's like a bag of Oreos or, or better yet, Chips Ahoy. And you put some Chips Ahoy bag in front of me and milk, and if I eat the whole bag, it's not my fault. But I take one of those bad boys and soak it in the milk, it's like it's gone. The chocolate chips, man, it's just wonderful. And I have the first one, I want the second one. And the third. And the 99th. And then another bag. I mean, it's so awesome. I just want to eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. I want them. I desire it. Well, how many times have we been told something and we didn't hear it because we were anxious to speak? We were so anxious to speak because we heard something maybe we don't like, we didn't want to process. So we're, all we're doing is thinking about how am I going to come back to this? How am I going to come back with this? What am I going to say? I am so thankful I've never, ever done that in my life. Yeah. It's interesting sometimes to listen to Christians when they have discussions about things like politics, economics, faith, other matters. And many times when you get into these discussions and when you get around them, you're going to hear some very interesting human thoughts. But when we're going to be quick to listen, the question is, in any of these subjects, what would God's word say about this? That's what we're quick to listen to. So many times, I mean, I hear all kinds of stuff, particularly politically, all kinds of conspiracies that are going on, and sure, there's some of that stuff going on, obviously. But ultimately, what would God say? What would God want to me to hear about what's going on? For us to be able to grow, we have to listen to God's word. Because if we don't, we won't. The second thing he says in verse 19, oh, I don't like this. We are commanded to be slow to speak. Proverbs 17, excuse me, verse 28, 27, 28 says something to us. It says, the truly wise person restrains his words, and the one who stays calm is discerning. Even a fool who remains silent is considered wise, and the one who holds his tongue is deemed discerning. One of the things I've learned in life, now I can multitask. I'm doing a lot of it today. You can multitask. But one thing you can't do is you cannot hear or listen, I should say, and speak at the same time. Because when the mouth is flapping, the ears aren't working. It's like they shut down. Because your brain's trying to get out what you're trying to say, you cannot possibly listen to what's going on. You might hear blah, 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 you know, Charlie Brown, remember Charlie Brown? Some of you young people, you need to Google Charlie Brown. It's a really good cartoon series. And, and every time that his teacher would speak, it'd be wah, 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 wah. That's how they depicted it. Well, when somebody's talking to you and you're yapping back at them, that's all you hear, wah, 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 wah. You're not listening. So we have to be quick to listen, then we're slow to speak. Remember the book of Job's, Job? Job was going through a terrible ordeal in his life, and he didn't cause it. He, had, he didn't know what was going on. He was a very good man, but he's going through a terrible time. And, you know, to their credit, he had three friends who saw this. They saw Job. He had pottery scraping the boils off his skin. He was in pain. He had lost his family, his possessions, and his friends, praise the Lord, sat next to him and did what we call a ministry of presence. They didn't run their yapper. They just sat there for seven days. And you're thinking, man, what good friends. They are there commiserating with Job. They're praying for him. You know, actually, they weren't. You know what they were doing? They were thinking, what am I going to say? They're watching this pathetic scene, and they're like, this dude did something wrong. So on the seventh day, the floodgates opened. These clowns started opening their mouth. <laughs> well, one could say they were quick to listen, 
and slow to speak, but actually they probably weren't listening. They were just thinking about what they were going to say. They weren't even consulting God about it. They just had their own preconceived idea of what was happening. Well, Job, you did something wrong. You're paying a price for it. And of course, later on, we find God says, you guys, you all should have shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. You have no clue what's going on here. But see, the other thing, when, slowing to speak means that what we are going to say, we need to make sure to the best of our ability, it's what God would say. The other part of that, and this is where social media comes into play, is social media, <laughs> I've done this before, you get upset and you fire something off. I've done it, and I'm like, oh, that's dumb. But you know how much junk is spread on social media? One of the people in our church, he, he, he told me that he started some political thing that everybody, that all these people started buying into, it was fake. It was a fake conspiracy. And when people brought it to him, he said, yeah, I started it. You know, one of the things about being slow to speak is making sure that what we're going to put out there is true, that it's not a lie, that it's not a falsehood. How many times has somebody given you a headline or you've seen a headline? I've done this before and say, oh, wow, wow, look at this, look at this. And then later on, you find, oh, that really wasn't accurate. I've had people try to hand me stuff before I come up in the pulpit and say, hey, I want you to read this. I'm like, no, not until I check it out. Not until I check it out. Because part of being slow to speak is making sure what we do say is true. The horrible third part of this verse is to be slow to anger. You notice when you're dealing with people and you start having a discussion, they start calling you names and getting mad. Proverbs 14, 29. Someone with great understanding is slow to anger, but the one who has a quick temper exhibits folly. Okay, that one's a little too close to home. We're going to skip it. But anyway, um, I mean, seriously, God, God, you want me to be slow to speak, quick to listen. Can I at least get angry quickly and get it over with? I mean, that's healthy, isn't it? Well, here's the problem. I used to have a bad temper, especially when it came to losing. Man, I couldn't stand to lose at anything. And, and I, I know why it was that way. I understand what made me tick now. But the problem is I'd have that anger and I used to let it drive me. And when you let your anger drive you, you know what it's going to do? It's going to drive you off a cliff. When you let your anger drive you, you're going to destroy yourself. You're going to destroy everybody in your path. And you're going to destroy everything in your life just by simply not being able to get a handle on your anger. And what will happen is our anger blinds us to what God is trying to teach us. Our anger blinds us to what we need to learn. And sometimes we get so upset so fast because we're, I've done this with people. You'll say something they don't want to hear. I've been told stuff I don't want to hear. Immediately, anger, man. That dynamite's lit. Well, lashing out in anger sometimes may make us feel good. Well, I told them. But in the long run, it doesn't solve anything. Verse 20 reminds us of that. It says, you know what? Your anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. My, me blowing off at somebody and telling them how it is and telling them off isn't going to change what God wants changed. It is not going to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. Our anger will not make our conduct right before God. And go back to the Proverbs passage, going back to the heaven discussions with people and they start getting mad and calling you names. They don't understand. They have no understanding of what they're talking about. They get frustrated and they get angry. I've seen this when it comes to this gender stuff where there's a bajillion genders when there's two. There's two. And people can't take that. Oh, but then when you start questioning them about, okay, in this situation, what would you do? Practically, they admit there's two. You know, you go to, you go to a, an accident and a man who's a biological man says, hey, I'm having a miscarriage and you're an EMT. You're not going to check the dude for a miscarriage because you know that's not possible. So we have to understand. And then when you bring that up, people get really mad about it. We have to be able to control our temper, our anger, we have to be quick to listen to God and then make sure that what we say is his will. Let's drop down, drop down to verses 21 through 24. It says this. Oh, man, this gets worse. So put away every filth and evil excess and humbly welcome the message implanted within you, which is able to save your souls. Be sure to live out, you live out, excuse me, the message and do not merely listen to it and deceive yourselves. For some, if someone merely listens to the message and doesn't live it out, he is like someone who gazes at his own face in a mirror. For he gazes at himself, and he goes out and immediately forget what, forgets what sort of person he is or was. So now we have a more difficult command. 
It doesn't get any easier. But verse 21, if you want to, verses 21 and following, if you want to boil them down, it's really what he's telling us to do is we are called to get rid of the old nature, the old ways, the old ways of thinking, the old ways of responding to life. Because when we are baptized into Christ, we're a new creation. Instead of being angry all the time, Christians are called to get rid of their lives of evil. The phrase put away literally means to change clothing, to put on another set of clothes. So Christians are called to put off the filthy clothing of hasty speech and anger and all kinds of other evil that runs through our mind. The metaphor to put away and to put on occurs in many places in the New Testament, and it refers to that change of life that takes place when we're baptized into Christ. Another way of speaking this, another way of talking about this would be the, um, would be the new birth and the new creation that God gives us. And we'll see that in verse, back in verse 18. Here's the problem. Boy, doesn't that, doesn't that sound good? Get rid of all that stuff. Isn't that, that's good, isn't it? Simple? Not simple to do. Ridding yourself of old habits, old ways, old attitudes, old ways of thinking is very difficult to do. And really, on your own, you're not going to have much success. Ridding oneself of all this junk is difficult on your own but part of the way that we're able to do it is we have to focus on what we are to do that's where our focus needs to be our desire should be to look intently toward God's word and then live out that message not just hear that message in verses 22 to 23 James is using kind of an analogy where he he talks about the message living out the message is like looking in a mirror now why do we stand before a mirror we stand before a mirror many times because we're looking for faults. Now, you ladies, man, I don't care how beautiful you are, you got a million faults you'll find. Everybody's like, man, you're looking good. And, oh, I got this little thing right here. And hair number 75 is not in place. And, you know, this eyebrow right here, this one right here, you see it? It's a deformed. It's curled. I mean, guys, we're looking at, man, I'm looking fine. A hunk of burning love here, man. It's great. You know, I, I could go 350 and think I'm a hunk of burning love. It'd be a big hunk, but, you know, it's still a bit. But typically, we go into a mirror trying to see, okay, is my hair messed up? Do I have spinach in my teeth? You know, did I cut myself shaving and I'm bleeding down my face? And I, Because sometimes I can cut myself, I don't realize I've done it. Um, is my hair messed up? Do I, do, do I look like a rooster, you know, that I just walked out of bed, you know, got out of bed? And so you look at these things. That's why you go to a mirror. We're looking to make sure that everything looks right. So if you look in a mirror and you see a smudge on your face, or for you ladies, or I guess some guys, you're wearing your makeup, and it's all messed up, and you've got, you know, uh, what is that stuff, eyeshadow running down your cheek, you go and you see that. And so what you want to do is when you see this, oh, i got to fix that. James is saying a person who hears the word and doesn't put it, into an act, put it into action is like somebody who looks in the mirror and sees all these issues that need to be corrected, and they just walk away and forget about it, thinking, I'm okay. But yet they go outside, they got clown hair, clown makeup, bleeding down their face, toilet paper hanging out of the back of their clothing, and they just look ridiculous, and everybody's going, ah, look at that, that's funny. But James is telling us when we hear the word and we don't put it into action, because we're supposed to go to the word to see, if, for lack of better terms, what we need to build upon, what we need to correct, what we need to work on. Those who just hear the word, it's much different than just... And then, than looking at it intently. Because if we walk away once we come to the word, what ends up happening is nothing changes. Nothing changes. We'll keep heading in the same direction. So what we have to do is we have to be able, we have to be able to look at that word and say, oh man, I'm having trouble with my, amp, with my temper. Or I'm having trouble with this. Or I'm having trouble with that. I need, to, I need to walk away and start putting this stuff into practice that God gives me. Verse 25 tells us but the one who peers into the perfect law of liberty fixes his attention there and does not become a forgetful listener but one who lives that lives lives it out he will be blessed in what he does so our third observation is a key to successfully obeying the commander of these commands verse 25 if you wrap it up in a nutshell is basically taking us to focus what are you focusing on the perfect law of liberty the gospel is the mirror for our soul. That is the mirror which we bring our soul before and say, okay, what, what do I need to work on? 
It's almost like they'd look at the, the days of Jesus, they had basically metal mirrors. They'd polish them. They weren't very good, but they could kind of see what's going on. They didn't have the mirrors like we have today. And so the, for the mirror for us, for our soul, is the gospel. So we go before the gospel. We look at it intently. The word peer, by the way, when it says peer at the, at the gospel, it means more than just taking a glance. It means going to the effort to see what's not in eyesight, in your eye line of sight. It was used when jo, excuse me, when Mary and uh, Mary Magdalene and, and Peter and John went to the tomb. When they walked there, they couldn't see in their line of sight what was going on, so they ducked down and they peered into the tomb so they could see. And it took effort. So when we're called to peer into this gospel, this law of liberty, this means we're to put effort into doing it. Because if you don't, you're going to miss so much. You know, people will read, you know, the Bible in a year, and I think that's great. Or they'll read several chapters a day. Nothing wrong with that. But at some point, you have to look intently at that word. That might mean in your morning study, you read a third of a verse even. Because you're looking at it intently. You're trying to see what it says, what God's trying to tell you. And so you focus on that. Obviously, I'm not about those speed reading things necessarily. But we're not going to the Bible for information. We're going to it for transformation. The information should lead to transformation. So if you inundate yourself with a bunch of information, it just becomes information. Sometimes for transformation, you need to slow it down. You need to take time to see stuff that's not there. I can't tell you how many passages I maybe have read 50 times, and that 51st, something comes into my line of sight that I didn't dig into deep enough that I didn't see, and it really opens something up for me. This verse, verse 25, what it does is it gives a picture of a person who is fiercely searching through the scriptures to hear the message of God. And not just to hear it, but to put it into action, to let it transform them. The perfect law of liberty is the gospel. Many people won't come to church, they won't, they won't even start thinking about Jesus, because they think, well, if I come to Jesus, I can't do whatever I want to do. Or I, I'm going to have to give, a, give this up, or give that up, or give this up. They think that they're enslaved. Well, Galatians 5.1 reminds us that for freedom, for freedom Christ set us free, Stand firm then and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. We are free in Christ. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so we are given freedom in Christ. We're given that freedom. If we're going to successfully live out the message, we have to focus on the message. So many times churches are known and Christians are known for what they're against. We're against this, 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 this. We really need to put the focus on what we're for. The stuff we're against becomes very evident on its own. But what are you for in your life? Not what are you against. I, you know, political candidates, many times in the election cycles, all they do is tell you what they're against, tell you what they hate about the other person. Okay, a monkey can do that. And many of them are no more than monkeys, by the way. But anyway, they can do that. So why not tell me what you're for? Why not tell me what excites you in life? Why not tell me what really gets you going? What you're passionate about? Man, I can respect the leader on either side of the fence that would come out and do that. Instead of just, I'm against, I'm against, that person's going, yeah, I love the political commercials. Jim Johnson, he beats puppies and he's going to hell. He worships Satan. And then the next one, Jim Johnson, he's an angel from the Lord. He loves puppies. And, you know, that's just a stupid way to run a campaign, in my opinion. But as Christians, we can't do that. We can't just be against everything. What are you for? I'm for Jesus. Are you for Jesus? If I'm for Jesus, the stuff that I don't think is good will be evident. We have to focus on the message. We're not called, called to just glance at it. We are called to fix our attention to it so we don't forget it. What James does for us is he focuses on the choice to hear the word or to put the word into action. And he shares the consequences of those choices. Benjamin Franklin was famously quoted in his Poor Richard's Almanac. He said this, Well done is better than well said. Let that one sink in. James, you know, talks about our faith. He's going to talk about it. He's going to talk about works. They're not mutually exclusive. But he's telling us that our faith should lead us to do what we do, not just, not anything else. The message that resonates as the world continues to scrutinize our lives and how they fail to live up to that message, as they continue to do that, we have to continually fix our eyes on that message. 
teach, the teachings of James are strongly tied to Jesus, to Paul and the other gospel writers, as well as the rest of the New Testament. And that is, put it into action. Walk the walk, or, you know, we're supposed to walk the walk, not just talk. We have to decide if we're going to allow our walk to match our talk, or if we're going to allow our lives to match who we call out as our Lord. That's ultimately what it's about. You can call yourself whatever you want, but our life has to match what that calling is. The application point for this morning is very simple. Followers of Jesus are called to act upon their faith, that they've, and they've been given concrete, they, they have been given concrete acts of love and obedience. We are called to, to reflect Jesus to our world. This morning, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. Our God saves. That's what it's about. Our God loves us. He came. He died on the cross for us. The world says a lot of bad things about people. Who cares? Because you're not going to stand before those folks one day. You're going to stand before God. And he wants you to stand before him as one of his children. If you need that this morning, we offer you that opportunity. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. If you're struggling and need some prayer, if you come forward, we'd be glad to pray with you. But this time, let's stand together and sing our song of decision, Reckless Love, together. spoke a word you were singing over me you had been so so good to me before I took a breath you breathed your life in me you have been so, so kind to me.
Whose shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. You know, that song is, uh, epitomizes what Jesus did. I mean, if somebody came up to you and said, okay, you're going to save the world, but the way you're going to do it is you're going to die for it. You're going to shed your blood. Not only, you're just not going to die of old age. You are going to get beat mercilessly, made fun of, rejected. Those same people that are, you're trying to save, they don't want anything to do with you. They don't want anything to do with you. What kind of love would it take to still say, I'm going to do it? That's the kind of love Jesus has for you. And you can call it a reckless love if you want. It seems reckless. It almost seems pointless when you look at how many people reject him. But even those who reject him, he loves them so much, he wanted them to have the opportunity to be a part of his family. This sacrifice that we remember shows us how deep the love that God has is for you. And so when you take your communion this morning... I think it's really easy just to live through life and forget who's, who's who. And if you've kind of got that order messed up in your life, remember, you didn't die for him, he died for you. And because of him dying for you, you died to self. And to, because of those things, you can have eternal life with him. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you be with each one of us as we peer into our hearts, as we prepare for this time of communion. This communion represents just the reckless love that you have for us that many times people say we're not worth it, but you said we are. And Father, as we take this cup, we're reminded of the blood that was shed. When we take this bread, we're reminded of the beatings and the broken body that you had. These were all done out of love for us. And I pray, Lord, that as we look into our souls, as we look into that perfect gospel, that gospel of freedom, that we see areas that we need to grow closer to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
your bulletin we have prayer concern uh, so we have our announcements for this week uh, for those who are on the missions ministry team we have a meeting today at uh, four o'clock it should last about 30 minutes uh, also jerry will have his elementary crew and junior and senior high groups rogers group will meet this evening we have no adult bible study this week but the teens will meet prime time we're going to be meeting at olive garden so if you'd like to be a part of that please let the office know by five o'clock on tuesday and on Saturday, we're doing our narrow path. We're going to Empire Ranch. Andrew and I scouted a, trek, a trail, and uh, my truck paid for it a little bit. I, I've never bumped it before, but I did yesterday. But anyway, we're going to, be doing, going to be doing a cookout, so make sure you bring the appropriate items for that. We do have the cooker and everything. We just need hot dogs, brats, and such. Um, so we're looking forward to that. That'll be a lot of fun. Stitches of Love's looking for people who will bring and so sundresses, so you see an announcement about that. If you have empty rectangular um, Kleenex boxes, if you bring those to the church, Jan can use those for our, our children's church. And also Operation Christmas Child still accepting donations of school supplies through the month of July and August. So we encourage you, if you can help with that, to do so. I believe that's all the announcements we have. Once again, missions ministry team, make sure you're here at 4 o'clock today. On the back of your bulletin, you have prayers. And we invite you to take note of those and be in prayer for people who are in need and that you keep them lifted up in your prayers. We got people that have all kinds of health issues going on, deployed troops, we have shut-ins, we've been praying for Operation Christmas Child as an outreach, and we're praying for all of our missions during this month. So uh, at this time, let's stand together. I'll close us with a word of prayer, and our band will lead us out in a song. It's been great to be together this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that we could come together to worship today. Lord, we have so many people we've been praying for in our bulletin, and I just pray that you bring relief and blessings to them and help us to continue to lift them up to you. Father, I pray that as we live life this week, that we are eager to get into your word and eager to live out your word, because that'll be a great example to those around us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs>